Welcome to Dragon Talk, everyone. Yay! We are here. <laughs> okay. This was the, I was like, hands I, up. That was like a religious experience uh, just now. I'm here. Uh, Charlie Sheen from Platoon. Oh, hands up. Dragon Getting Hall. shot in the back. Oh, uh, no. Spoiler. I know, guys. Don't. <laughs> Vietnam War happened. It was terrible. <laughs> We are here to talk about Dungeons and Dragons. This is the official Dungeons and Dragons podcast. You don't say. It is. Oh my god. I'm Greg Tito. I'm Shelley Mazenoble. And we have an excellent guest coming at you. Amazing. In the interview portion. Yes. Who is it? Writer, performer. Also, we're going to find out musician or composer. What? Emily Axford. Yeah, yeah. Yay! Very exciting. We're going to talk to her about not another D&D podcast, mm-hmm. what she thinks about the acronym MADPOD, yeah. uh, as well as uh, what's been happening with um, uh, with all the fun stuff that she's been doing with Dimension 20. We yeah. just had our great interview with uh, Brendan Lee Mulligan. Yes. Um, and I can't wait to get the other side of yeah. the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's we'll find li- out. What's it like to be a player? In his campaign. In his campaign. People seem to really like it. Exactly. It's true. We are excited, excited for this. Oh, uh, we could do that all episode. We really can. I think we're just going to have yes. to table the axe throwing uh, for a later time. Okay. Explorer's Guide to Wildmount oh. is on its way. March 17th, you will be able to roll your heart into the world behind the second... See uh, a campaign of Critical Role. Matt Mercer and Chris Perkins have been working hand-in-hand and creating all the content for Explorer's Guide to Wildmount. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. There are a lot of people who want this book. It is topping basically all of our pre-order records. A lot of people who have... Are getting this book? Apparently. They've already, yeah, right. They've already bought it. They've yeah. already, you know, put down their money for it. And yeah. uh, I, I talked about this a little bit on DND News, but it is, as far as we know, topping all of uh, Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition sales in the pre-order category. What? Uh, which is pretty exciting. Yeah, a lot of people out there. Well, so when you're the number one book on Amazon of all books, that's I love that statistic because it's like all books, all the books, all of them, the fiction, the nonfiction. The books that the actually exist books. that are there, right? In store. Like you can purchase right away. Number onesies. Yes, onesies. Yes, that's pretty cool. It's really cool. Yeah. So uh, March seventeenth is when it will be available everywhere in stores on D and D Beyond, uh, at your local game store. Which you should totally uh, get your book there if you possibly can. It is uh, going to be chock full of setting information. There's going to be great stuff that dungeon masters and players can use. If they don't want to necessarily use all the setting information, they can just kind of beg, borrow, and steal. Uh, there's great subclasses in there. My favorite one that I uh, like to talk about is the Echo Knight, which is a subclass Ooh, of the yes. fighter with echoes of uh, other probabilities being used uh, to their advantage. Uh, a That's lot of fun stuff like that. Dunamancy is like a new kind of uh, family of spells uh, that all deal with probability and how to you know use that to your advantage in battle. Interesting stuff. It seems like I wouldn't have time in battle. Well, you can go back in time. Back in time. math in battle? No, but you have to sing the Huey Lewis song. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I do that anyway. (laughs) Yes. That's part of my ritual. (laughs) Whenever you go back in time, you sing that song. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Super cool. Uh, Look for it again on shelves March 17th. 
there's also something else coming out on March 17th. Tell me. Laryl Silverhand's Explorer's Kit. This is not just an Explorer's Kit of amazingness, but you also get some dice. In fact, you might even just call it a dice set with some amazing things on there. Same form factor, same idea uh, as the Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus dice. A box, felt lined. You can roll your dice in them. They're like basically two dice trays. They have that nice little sound when you when you roll in it which makes it real real nice and for it, people. it keeps the the dice on the table yeah exactly that's that's an important thing it really is because how many times have you rolled and it's like oh, oh, oh sloppy off. dice oh. drink twice <laughs> is that different game that's but part of the, that was a rule we're yes. adding it <laughs> we're adding it to the uh the the taking a shot uh, yes. in order to make the cleric Help spells work better spellcaster yeah i yeah. like it i like it so that's coming out on March 17th, too. Uh, we also have some Monster Madness on the way. In February. In February. <laughs> you know it, Dungeon Mayhem. Dungeon Mayhem. Big May- old box of monsters. They are so cool, those monsters. Oh, they're adorable. They really are. I want to like, give them all a hug. I mean, they're vicious. They're, they're angry. They're... They're mad. Whatever. They're just really cute, though. They are. Cam Kendall was the illustrator... And he's amazing. Yeah. Um, there's you can find out more about him actually in the the next issue of Dragon Plus. Nice. Yeah. So I just I just read a little interview with him that is coming up. That's super cool. Yeah. Um, but anyway, Dungeon Mayhem, Monster Madness, six characters, <laughs> monster themes, monster themed character decks, and a storage box. The so box. you can put all of your Dungeon Mayhem cards, all of them, <laughs> yeah. into the box. Into the box. Along with all your tokens. I love that you have a storage solutions. We do. That's important. We do. Because people like to collect things. I and know. then being able to have it all in one place, you pull it out, and then everybody can choose which character they want to play as. They can yes. mix it up. They have know. like beautiful designed dividers. Trish Yoakum worked on this game. She's worked on, she's basically made every... Dungeon Mayhem card. She's like the Dungeon she's, Maven. She's the Dungeon Maven, like the godmother of Dungeon Mayhem. Because oh. she has, she's she created all the beautiful visual elements. She really did. She did. Yeah. And there's beautiful dividers so that you can just be like, oh, today I feel like playing Leah the Radiant. And you can just go find those cards really easily. I love that. By the time this comes out, there'll be 12 characters for Dungeon Mayhem. So you got to have a place to store them along with all your tokens. And then with the six-player rules, that means everybody Five in the family. Five and six-player rules, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And seven-player rules are coming soon. <laughs> How dare you? You stonewalled me on that one. You're like, no, no response I necessary. I will not engage. You've been trolling me all day, Greg Tito. What about 13-player rules? Go for it. Can you double up? Is there any rules for saying, like, can you have, like, two Leahs and... There's, I and, guess you and could. four blorbs playing just against each other. Just try it. Just try it. Just see what happens. Uh, and the ghost mechanic, I think, is super fun in that. The vengeful ghost. If you pass away from all the damage, <laughs> uh, you can still <laughs> exact your revenge upon whoever you wish. Yeah, doesn't you, even have to be the one who the did the damage for you. Yeah. Yeah. So be careful. Genius. Who you target. Because they're coming Cause after they you. they come after you. Very cool. Look for that in February. Also... Um, I guess that's it. I guess that's everything we've announced for this year. Well, Damn. I guess that's all we're doing. Because that's it. We're done. Dunzos. That's it. So that's anyway, it. have a good year, everyone. 
We are working hard on so many things that you don't know about. We'd love to spill all of the uh, D4s on the ground so that you step on them and then you take yes. D4 of damage. Right. But, uh, but alas, good. in the future times, we will tell you all about the fun things. Yes, we will. There, maybe you can cast a few divination spells and try to figure it out. Go ahead. Yeah, I dare I you. I, I triple dog dare you. Make it happen. We have some fun... I mean, one thing that I definitely want to plug, since you mentioned it, is uh, uh, Dragon Plus. Yeah. New issue coming out. If you have not downloaded Dragon Plus to your mobile device, it's available on iOS and for Androids. Yes. C3PO would be proud. Yes. Just you, for him. You uh, can also access all of that content on dragonmag.com uh, in, on, on any browser. It's all there. And it's every two months there is a plethora of articles, previews, interviews, RPG materials like maps and things like that. It's Uh, beautiful. It is all free. It's all for you. Check it out if you haven't already. Do it. Yeah. We also have a uh, email list, which we don't talk about very often. I was too. just gonna say, write the newsletter. Write the newsletter. Yeah. Uh, for me, the Dragon Plus content and the newsletter goes hand in hand because it feels like you know it's stuff that you get on a periodic basis. Yep. That's that's what they called a periodical to back keep, in the days to keep you in the know. Exactly. Um, so uh, sign up for that as well. You'll get tons of information as well as exclusive things like codes and whatnot uh, for for. Maybe discounts, maybe uh, finding out about Early. things before anybody else does. Yeah. I mean, not only do you listen to you know Dragon Talk and and the Dragon Plus show that Bart does, and D and D News, and D and D Presents when it comes out uh, very soon. Yeah, Dragon Plus is a great way to find out about that stuff. Yes, it is. Right, and it's an aggregate of all of the good stuff. Aggregate. Aggregate. Awesome. So let's kick it off to some lore that I should know. Yeah. And I'm going to after I talk with this person. Okay. You want to do it? Yeah. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Lore You Should Know. I am Greg Tito, and I'm joined by... Chris Perkins. That's you. It's me. I know. It's so great to have you here today uh, on this segment where we dive into little bits of Dungeons & Dragons lore for use in your game or just because it's really fun to know all this stuff. We're going to talk about Wildmount, a new addition to the D&D multiverse. Indeed, yes. The world of Exandria. Welcome to the D&D multiverse. We're, we're really happy to have you here, yes. uh, Matthew Mercer and all of the yes, amazing yes, yes, folks yes, yes, who worked yes, yes, on this yes. book. Indeed. Yeah, this is, this is actually the first campaign, official published campaign setting designed for 5th edition. That's really true, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, because with Ravnica and Acquisitions Incorporated, they were all, yeah. you know, yeah. they, they in were the around, same vein, yeah. but yeah, yeah, but they were around before. Mm-hmm. This is the only one that yeah. has been created uh, actually in the entire era of 5th edition, because it was this March 2015 that, uh, that Critical mm-hmm. Role debuted. Yes. Right, which was yes. after this, so yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like all that. All right, so in, t- in this one, we are going to talk about gods of Wildman, the oh, deities yeah. that yeah. are doing all of the fun things. Mm-hmm. Uh, are they similar to uh, the Forgotten Realms gods of yore in which they have direct influence on the events of Wildmount? Uh, they don't or anymore. Andrea? Oh, they don't anymore. All right, no. so kind of similar to FR in that, in that regard. Um, well, they have, been, they have been very present. In the distant past, mm-hmm. 
of Exandria. Uh, but now they're currently locked behind the Divine Gate, which is a self-imposed, well, for, for many of the gods, it's a self-imposed exile, in mm-hmm. a way, from the world, uh, so that they can no longer meddle or accidentally destroy, as they once did. <laughs> and there's, um, in, in the Explorer's Guide to Wildmount book, Matt goes in deep to explain how the gods ended up putting themselves and their, um, and their uh, betrayer god foes behind this divine gate. Okay, so, yeah. so they are behind a, an actual, I guess, metaphysical gate. Correct. Yeah, which was all born out of an event uh, that, was, that was calamitous to the world where the, the prime, what, what we call the prime deities, the ones who sort of define the core ethos of the pantheon and the betrayer gods, the ones who went bad <laughs> and started to corrupt mortals of the world and do all kinds of unseemly things to the creation that the gods had, had, had made together. Which is a common trope in, in, exactly. in, in our myth yes. as well as fantasy exactly. myth, right? And, and, and in actual fact, uh, we've seen these tropes come up before um, in Dungeons & Dragons because to an extent, uh, a lot of inspiration for the pantheon came from the dawn war deities that were created for fourth edition. Mm. Uh, there was a sort of core pantheon that included such figures as Melora and um, Bahamut. The Raven and Queen. The Raven Queen, exactly. And Matt kind of took that core pantheon and kind of switched a few things around, added a few things, sort of peeled off some of the gods into a betrayer gods category and yeah. keeping the core pantheon intact. But, I mean, just... just <laughs> this, We're going through the actual proofs yes, this of is, this is the a, this book is a, right now. One of the final proofs of the book, um, pre-bound. We've even got a version of the cover that we see from the printers to make sure it's you know color correct. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, and it, well, and I mentioned that it is it is inspired by by old myth because it, it brings brings to mind uh, Tolkien with the uh, uh, Luvatar and then having the fallen Mel- Melkor. Yeah. Uh, and then it's also that's reminiscent yes. of uh, of of Satan falling yes. from 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 the heavens, right? And it, I love exactly. this that we're we're exploring those same themes, but in a completely yeah. new and interesting. Yeah, in the earliest form of Exandria, it was sort of this proto world that the gods and the primordials were fighting for control over. Mm-hmm. Eventually, the gods seeded the world with their creations, these mortals, and then they they made the mistake of giving mortals magic, and of course, things quickly go off the rails. They always do that. <laughs> they always give us too much. They, you know they're 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 helpful at first, and then things kind of go sideways. But uh, the the prime deities of the world as it stands today are Avandra, Bahamut, Coralon, Arathis, Ayun, Cord, Melora, Moradin, Pelor, Ray, the Raven Queen, and Sehenine. Okay. So the only the new the only new addition to that from uh, sort of the fourth edition Dawn War pantheon is Ray, and that was inspired by one of the characters of the show, uh, Tasha. Um, Ashley Johnson's character, who needed sort of a particular deity to inspire toward. And what is what is uh, uh, this Ray the deity of? Uh, atonement. Atonement. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That's that's a new uh, portfolio. Yeah. For, yeah. for us. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's a it's a fine addition because none of the other gods really kind of fit that particular uh, uh, idea. Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. All right, so then are they the ones that you just listed? Many D&D fans will be familiar with yes, them. Yes. Are there significant differences between any of them and the ones that are portrayed here in Exandria? Um, 
yes, they've they've all sort of got a, a slightly different skin um, in in fleshing them out for his campaign. Matt sort of came up with commandments that followers that the followers of these gods follow. He also uh, developed their sort of look and imagery a bit. Uh, so some of their symbols were oh, modified. Uh, wh- he found sort of new ways to express some of their core uh, uh, portfolio um, things. Uh, the commandments are really kind of interesting and fun from a hook point of view because then if you're playing a worshiper of so-and-so, you really get a sense of what you're all about and what you should be focused on. Mm. Um, just to take example, um, the commandments of Avandra, for those who don't know, she's, uh, she, it, they, gods are, you know, you can't really ascribe a gender Genderli- to gods. They're genderless. They're, they're kind of above gender in a way. Yeah. Uh, Avandra, uh, their provinces change, freedom, luck, uh, the symbol is woman's profile embossed on a gold coin or pendant. And their com- and commandments of Avandra are luck favors the bold. Mm-hmm. So your fate is your own to grasp. And uh, to do so is to have Avandra kind of behind you, watching your back. Another commandment is change is inevitable. Oh, that's uh, an important one. The righteous can ensure that such change is for the better. And then finally... Uh, the other commandment of Avandra is you want to rise against tyranny. Fight for the freedom of yourself and others when you can and inspire others to fight when they're able. That's great. Yeah. Uh, do the commandments have uh, mechanical effects or are these more like the bl- no. bonds and flaws? That yeah, they're are like the guideposts to you as a character to kind of know what your boundaries are ethically. I like that though because yeah. uh, cl- specifically clear, uh, um, stating those out is really important for you know clerics and paladins particularly because yeah. you can – you can say as a dungeon master, you're you know not doing what this commandment says, so therefore you might have some consequences or or you know yes. give the choice to the player to make Absolutely. sure that they're following those commandments. Absolutely, yes. Uh, and so, uh, so Matt got to play with their depictions and the, these sort of elements, and also talk about things like holy days within the world of Exandria and within the continent of Wildmount, uh, which is something we didn't, which is really a good point. If you're a DM and you're trying to take something that we've created in the past but kind of make it your own, yeah, these are great creative design spaces to explore. Uh, so the Raven Queen's Holy Day huh. is called the Night of Ascension. And some folks, folks who are follow Critical Role would know this. Yes. Uh, celebrating her apotheosis, the actual date uh, uh, of her rise to divinity is unclear, but the Night of Ascension is celebrated on the 13th day of the 10th month and uh, what was once a night of cheery celebration of the dead in the Dwendalian Empire has become an occasion to burn effigies and to cry the Kryn dynasty uh, because of their kind of unnatural relationship to death. So um, there's a lot to unpack there, but yeah. it's... Who, who's uh, devotion to death that you just said there? Sorry? The last bit about um, the Kryn Empire, they're, they're, you're burning oh, effigies yeah, they've because... Got, they've got, they've got a, a, a thing going on... Um, they be- there's a deity that, we're- that I was going to get to later, but we might as well get to right now. Um, and deity might be an odd word to ascribe to this entity or entities called the Luxum. Mm. Um, and they're sort of represented by uh, these beacons that are kind of a crux of, of season two of Critical Role. Um, but Campaign the, but, two. But the Luxon are entities of pure sort of divine light. But what's cool about them is they enable uh, uh, their followers to uh, live multiple lives. So you die, 
your soul gets drawn into the Luxon and then is born in like a, a new baby somewhere in okay. the world. So you're just, it's like this constant rebirth and you retain much of the knowledge of what you were or your previous lives or aspects of your previous lives in this new form. So it is kind of more like an apotheosis than a, a reincarnation or a, a resurrection. Um, so that these, these, these souls will live multiple lives yes, and have memories of exactly. multiple lives. And so they become quite ancient yeah. as a result. And the Kryn dynasty is um, uh, sort of the, the force, the Kryn dynasty is largely made up of dark elves. And so you have these dark elves who have experienced this, this apotheosis, which is called uh, consecution. Uh, multiple times and have multiple lives to draw from. And of course, to the Raven Queen, the finality of death is a sacrosanct thing and this is a way to circumvent that and she doesn't like it. And that's why the Dwendalian yes. Empire is in opposition to Kryn? Well, yes. Or one of the yeah, many one reasons. One of the many reasons. The other yeah. is, is uh, geographic and we'll get to that probably in a later podcast. Yes. Yeah. Uh, all right. Fascinating. Uh, uh, the Raven Queen has does seem to have taken a, a large amount of... Um, importance in, in this setting. Is that true? Yes. Yes. Um, I think because, uh, for a number of reasons, uh, death is kind of a, a core element of Dungeons & Dragons. Players face it <laughs> almost every session. Um, so, uh, Depends on who's the dungeon master, but yes. Fair, yes, yeah. yes. If you're mine, every five minutes. Uh, <laughs> if you're my player. Uh, so, um, but, and she's also a very striking figure. Um, and has been represented a lot in art. And uh, she was very compelling in the first season of Critical Role because you had a character who was directly tied uh, to the Raven Queen. And so um, she became more important as a consequence. As happens in most D&D campaigns, certain gods tend to rise in prominence above the others by sheer fact that a player is connected to them. Right. Uh, the same was true last season. And I think a lot of people really liked the mystery surrounding her. And the idea of here, here is a god of death who is... Um, if not benign, at least not evil. Yeah, I think that's a really fascinating take on because so mm. much of Dungeons Dragons has been about like if you're a god of death, you're necromantic, you're evil, blah yeah. blah blah. And yeah. then here is this this at least positive way of thinking about the finality of death. Exactly, um, and things like undeath or aberrations in the minds of Raven Queen worshippers and things like that. So there's there's interesting conflict. You always have undead showing up in a campaign somewhere, and if you're a Raven Queen worshipper, you got to an issue with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the Raven Queen was a, a new addition for the fourth edition Pantheon, right? That is correct, yes. Were you involved in the... Yes. Uh, there was a... Um, here's, a here's a bit of interesting lore. So at the, at the dawn of fourth edition, before we released any products, we had two committees put together, one whose focus was on rules and the other focus on world design and sort of what the cosmology should be. And I was part of the latter group with folks like James Wyatt and mm-hmm. Rich Baker. And uh, we sat down on, upon request to create, we, we were asked to create a, a pantheon that could sort of serve as the default pantheon. And in doing so, we didn't want one as big as some of the other pantheons that had been created for earlier worlds like the Forgotten Realms and Greyhawk, which have dozens if not hundreds of, of deities, deities right. in the pantheons. So we really wanted to narrow it down as much as we could. And we, we either picked gods who were representative of core concepts like creation or justice, uh, if we felt they existed, and we tried to go outside just the human spectrum. So that's how we ended up with Moradin on the mm. list and Bahamut, 
Traditionally, they're worshipped by dwarves and dragons. But we were building a, a mythology where you, it didn't matter what the god was, its worshippers could be anybody. And as we were fleshing out the list, we realized there wasn't really a, a particularly compelling god of death who wasn't some just evil force. And James Wyatt was actually the one who concocted the Raven Queen. Interesting. Yes, um, to fill that hole and to create somebody who was a god of death who was uh, mysterious but not evil. And it was, you know, fascinating for, for Matt Mercer, so that, that's why he brought it forth yes. and, yeah. and yeah, uh, ended up, and then you're yeah. right. Everybody Hello. loves ravens, right? Yeah, yeah. No, right? They're so weird. And it was uh, Liam O'Brien's character, Vax, right? Mm-hmm. That was the one mm-hmm. that was a devotee of, yeah. of the Raven Queen Correct. in campaign one. Yes. Um, how was that resolved for him? Didn't folks? work out for him. Yeah, I was just going <laughs> to well, say. Actually, it may have worked out perfectly for him, I think, <laughs> I think the player, uh, yeah. yeah, he was happy to, <laughs> yeah. to see yeah. it go away. But. Va- Vax is with who he should be. That's yeah. <laughs> fascinating. All right, so then how does the Raven Queen, other than how you mentioned, how does that uh, uh, pertain to uh, um, Campaign 2 and, and how the stories have been going on there? Well, I mean, like I said, different players sort of sh- maybe shifted the uh, Matt's focus on the gods. And I, I have no idea where Season 2 is going, where the, where the gods will take them. Um, but uh, there's... Uh, other gods that have come to the forefront. Yeah, there are, there are others have like like I said, Rai has Array has come to the to the forefront and stuff like that. Uh, there are also um, I, I know there's allusions to some of the betrayer gods uh, coming yeah, so up. Yeah, talk about the betrayer gods. What who how do they fit into this cosmology? So they are uh, the betrayer gods are deities who strayed from the ideals sort of set down by the gods in the early conceptions of the world. And they embrace destructive chaos. And uh, unlike the other, unlike the ones I mentioned earlier, these ones don't tend to work together very well. They seem they pursue individual interests, and they're just evil, different shape, like chaotic, neutral, lawful, whatever. But they're evil. Yeah. Um, this this lack of ability to cohere into an actual pantheon is sort of their fundamental weakness, and why the prime deities can sort of stay above them and prevent do their best to try to prevent incursions uh, by betrayer gods through the divine gate and so on and so forth. Uh, so the betrayer gods are like cobra. In that they're, so they're always fighting. Yeah, yeah. or they're, they're, they're getting their worshippers, they're encouraging their worshippers to do terrible things. Right. Uh, and, and so they include uh, such luminaries as Asmodeus, uh, uh, Grumpsh, Lolf, Therisden, um, Bane, Torog, who was one of the Dawn War fourth edition deities, sort of mm-hmm. this, this uh, evil force of torture that lives underground, that's sort of come up in the campaign um, with the the eaters of the worm and other kinds of creepy stuff that Matt has introduced. Uh, Zahir and Vecna, who uh, mm. who appeared at the end of last season and whose presence uh, lingers on. Um, has Vecna ascended to to being a yeah. Deity, yeah. At yeah. this point, yeah. in 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 Alexandria, he he she it is a full on deity. Interesting, yeah. Um, and, and was in the fourth edition Dawn War Pantheon too. Just to be clear, right? I do remember that. Yeah. 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 Uh, always always nice to get an elevation. Yeah. <laughs> but I wonder what the commandments of Vecna are. Hmm. What are the commandments of Vecna? So as you know, Vecna, the whispered one, thou shalt not say his name, although we've said it multiple times I already. Mean, yes. <laughs> but we're already screwed, right? Also um, Voldemort, just yeah. to make sure we're, 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 we're covering all of our bases. Yeah. Uh, so um, his commandments are learn all you can and keep hidden that which you know. Mm. Reveal what pieces you must, but never the whole. 
express and cultivate the evil within yourself, and in doing so, recognize it in others and exploit them for your own benefit. And finally, seed the ruin of all who worship other deities until only those who kneel before Vecna remain. Yeesh. Yes. What about, uh, what about Torag, uh, since they made the one that's less familiar uh, yes, with people? The, the, uh, the Crawling King. Crawling King. Yes, he's, he's this three-armed, worm-like thing that, that burrows through the Underdark, essentially, or the Underworld, probably more properly. Gross. Although he is manifest in the world of Exandria in a number of ways, including this um, worm-like entity that spawns all sorts of... Badness. Is um, that is that reminiscent of Caius and the sons of Caius, or is that it? is a fair question? Um, so, Torog was created whole cloth for fourth edition again to sort of fill a niche in the pantheon, a sort of um, elder evil, a horror of the depths, yeah. kind of thing. Um, so, it was not spiritually bound to Caius in any way, shape, or form. But there's definitely sort of an overlap conceptually. Right, um, but but where where Caius is more like the rotting corpse, the the putrescence uh, that that inevitably follows death. Yeah, um, Torog is more about shackled in the darkness, torture, imprisonment, and doom. So less about less about undeath and, yeah. and more about just hey, by the way, you're gonna not like yeah. where you are exactly. Right now. You're gonna have a miserable existence <laughs> and, and enjoy it for eternity. So his commandments, its commandments are: seek and exalt places where no light touches, mm. revel in the pain you inflict on others, and relish the pain you suffer yourself as an offering to Torog, and then imprison those who cannot resist you and drag all life into darkness. Man. He is not a happy dude. Yeah, there not is something. Dude. There's something really powerful about these commandments. I have to yeah. say because you know you can read about you know how how deities manifest and what their their portfolios are all the time, but there's something about having it be this actual command yes. in a commandment form that you really just gets at the heart of like what how they're different from yeah. each other, but then how you can use it in your game. Yeah. There is this sense in, in Wildmount that people know that the gods are sort of held at bay mm-hmm. uh, in their sort of self-imposed nature. And because of that, because of that distance, what has happened is there have naturally arisen powerful mortal creatures who have tried to stand in for gods on the world. Um, and Matt calls them lesser idols. And they are like false idols. They're not true gods. Mm. But they are very, very powerful creatures or beings that can be fought and do have worshipers. And a lot of those are codified um, in this campaign setting as well. And they're all new. They're all born out of Matt's wonderfully twisted imagination. That's pretty um, fantastic. So they're yes. like, they're like uh, um, what we might have called lesser deities yeah. in the past, yes. but, but they're, they're here on, on the mm-hmm. plane of the material. Exactly. One of them who gets a lot of mention is uh, Okotoa. Okotoa. And he's, that name has popped up. Uh, repeatedly in season two, it is basically a Leviathan the sea monster mm. that uh, was was w- worshipped by these people called the Kinau, um, who basically um, were taken with him for uh, taken with Okotoa because Okotoa destroyed their enemies, mm. and so oh, oh great Okotoa, we now yeah. kneel before you and don't eat us, please. Um, now we're going to destroy a lot more people than just your enemies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, in Okotoa's case, things have not gone well for it lately. It has been basically trapped under the ocean and is trying to break out, uh, but can sort of telepathically or um, supernaturally reach out from beyond its conf- confines. And uh, there is a, a serious danger that 
it could just it's for the DM to decide at what point this creature will resurface and become a menace to uh, all the islands and coastlines of of Wildmount. And then there are other ones. Uh, um, let's see, what's one of my favorites? Let's talk about uh, uh, Quajoth. Quajoth. Yes, let's do that. Let's do it. Uh, the mystery, this is the worm thing I was talking about earlier. Yeah. The mystery of whether Quajoth is a creation or the direct progeny of Torog is unknown, but the deranged gargantuan worm creature that scouted the Crawling King's advances in the Calamity was thought to have been slain in the ferocious final battles, leaving a sizable portion of its wounded body behind, a slimy fragment of Quajoth burrowed deep beneath the surface and slumbered in the cold earth under Isilcross to recover and regrow. Um, and just to jump ahead a little bit, there are these uh, humans who live in the cold reaches of Isilcross who found this warm entity in the depths of this cavern network and started to eat its flesh. Um, food being... You know, relatively hard to get. Yeah. And um, did that cause curses or? or yeah. So they... what it does is, when you eat Quajoth's flesh, flesh, uh, Quajoth becomes inside of you mm. and can basically talk and see through you. Ah. So you become this kind of weird puppet creature uh, that Quajoth can use to kind of experience the world that it has left behind. Um, and it doesn't exert its control over you all the time either. So you may be fully fine. And then you kind of black out for a while and you suddenly realize you're in a different place and doing something different. You're like, what just happened? Oh, gosh. Yeah, it's I do not of, like that. Yeah. yeah. That's just messed up. Yeah, it is messed up because then yeah. you can, as a dungeon master, you can use that very yeah. evilly. Yes. And, of course, uh, I, I always imagine Matt cackling with glee when he writes sentences like, Quajoth's <laughs> recovered body resembles a monstrous muscular worm of folded bulbous skin covered in tooth-like scales. Its jagged mouth surrounded by a ring of pointed teeth with a thrice forked tongue bearing its iv- three ivory eyes. <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> okay. That's, that's all kinds of wrong. I think, I think you're the only person, Chris Perkins, who could read that with like an audible smile on your face <laughs> as you're reading it. <laughs> yeah, players are going to hate this. And I, yeah, love that. I love it. <laughs> oh, my God. That's fantastic. All right. Well, there's tons of uh, you know, detail on the deities in uh, Explorer's Guide to Wildmount. Uh, one way thing that I always like to ask as we're, as we're closing out this segment is how can Dungeon Masters take what's in this and apply it to their home games or, or if you're going to set it in uh, an Exandria campaign? Well, I mean, and, and what Matt recommends is also what I recommend is, that is you know, you, you, you take what you, you just plunder. Uh, you, you, you take it apart and keep what you want and jettison the rest. But uh, the way I tend to work with campaign building is to first just focus on what you need like, you don't have to define an entire pantheon right out the gate. And you certainly don't have to tell the players what the entire pantheon is. Yeah. So if you need to change direction or if you want to insert something new, you can just kind of do that on the fly. So you can start off just focusing on the gods that are important to the players. If your player identifies that they want to worship a god of a particular type and you don't have that in your pantheon, you can just build one or reskin one of the ones that are here. Um, a lot of them are so... They're detailed in one sense, but they're also very broad conceptually. Uh, they have multiple hooks yeah. uh, to them, or, or their portfolio is more than just one thing. And so you can kind of build off of that and say, well, Avandra isn't exactly what I need. I'm going to go maybe create a new god of change and luck. Or I might pull one from another world like Timora or, um, or something and use that instead. But I'll keep the commandments. 
because right. I really like that. That's just something I can give to the players, and I don't have to rethink or rewrite that. And in some ways, that's what Matt did with, yes. with this setting. Is that exactly. He took all the things that yes. you guys had uh, worked yeah. on for, yeah. for fourth edition and built it and then changed it and modified it for his own uses and then focused on ones that yeah. players were, I mean, exactly what you're, what you're describing. I yeah. think that's really... In, in my campaigns, I tend to think about the conflict that, that is brewing ahead in the campaign and, and if I have a player who worships a god... I will often think, is there a counteracting, is there another god who will oppose that god or whose worshippers will oppose that god? And then I'll just focus the campaign on those two gods. And I remember um, in some of my campaigns, I wouldn't even, I don't think my players even knew what the whole pantheon was at any given time because we were so just focused on the gods that, to which they were concerned about. Right. And in no Forgotten Realms campaign have I ever felt the need to give players the... Here's the 25 gods that we're going to talk about today. Here are yeah. the 200 gods well, right, yeah. uh, of, of Faerun that you can, that you can mull over. It's, it's just too much and wholly unnecessary. Yeah. Huh, holy. Yeah. Holy. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, before we tune out, or actually, I'll save that for later. Okay. I got the thing for later. But, yes, we've, yeah. got, we've got lots of fun stuff to show uh, on future Lori Chenoz, uh, where we'll dive into a little bit more behind uh, Exandria and Wildmount in particular, and maybe even get uh, some insight from the creator. Absolutely. Excellent. If people want to ask you about uh, anything, how could they get in touch with you? I am on Twitter at ChrisPerkinsDND. Excellent. Well, thanks for joining me and talking about this, and we'll be back with some more fun lore soon. Yay! Yay! Oh, man, I feel like I know a lot more. That now. person was really good. <laughs> they, they spent so much time walking us through the amazing lore uh, that you all now know. Yep. It's in there. Yes. All right. Thank you for that. Um, I can't wait really to figure out what's going to happen with uh, with uh, Drunky Two-Shoes and... Me too. And Daryl. Daryl. Yeah. The quest for Daryl. quest for Daryl. But before we do that, we have got to get to a little little thing. I, I mean... Guess. Just yeah. a tiny little No interview. big whoop. Yeah. Emily Axford. Woo! Let's get her on the phone. Yay! Yay! <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm honored to be here. We're really excited. We're really excited. You are a uh, multifaceted performer and writer. Yeah. You got to be in this day and age, you know? People get bored of you real quick. You're like a quintuple <laughs> threat. You can sing, dance, ice skate, play D and D, and at the same time, <laughs> yeah. cook a souffle. No, I actually can't ice skate. I'm terrified of it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's one of your phobias. All right. Well, yeah, so we'll, I only agree. a quadruple threat, unfortunately. It says here on your resume under special skills, ice skating. So okay. um, that was yeah. supposed to be Spanish, which I also don't speak. So. <laughs> <laughs> but we don't either. So what do we know? No hablo. Uh, no hablo español. <laughs> on Dragon Talk. Uh, but no, people will most likely know you from not another D and D podcast, playing yeah, on Dimension Twenty, yeah, uh, a little show that Shelly's a big fan of. Show in the world, hot date. Oh, yes, on I Netflix. love hearing that. Oh my yeah. god, my my husband and I are um, obsessed. When we when <laughs> we we don't binge shows on Netflix though, we're the opposite. We're like, nope, you can only watch one. <laughs> and then we will wait a That's few a days, really and we will smart watch. way to be. We savor them. Because then sometimes if you binge a show, it goes in and out. I have memory problems. So, me too. you know, it's good for me to take it slow. Yeah, <laughs> I want to savor, savor every minute of it. It's so good. It's so good. And it took Thank me a you. really long time to figure out the connection, like between yeah. the um, NADPOD, was- Hot Date, oh! the voices are similar, the 
Uh, no, oh, these are, yeah. those are, there's four really funny people in the world, but there's actually <laughs> just two. They're the it same keeps person. getting smaller, smaller and smaller. It does. It's I'm amazing. sorry. I have to, I'm actually also Brennan. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> oh my god and then he went black all right no uh, you're back okay yeah that was weird i thought when you took off like your mask you took the mask off and the screen went dark it was like a joker amazing. Thing. <laughs> awesome so uh, how did your 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 uh, uh i was gonna say affair with with dungeons and dragons but you know how, how did that mm, begin that's sexy yeah, yeah i know right affair. yeah it was yeah. a fair because like the second I tried it, I was like, I want more of you. <laughs> um, so I can't, I can't quit you. It was lusty. It was a lusty beginning for sure. My affair with Dungeons and Dragons began. So I had played, have you guys ever played Call of Cthulhu? Yeah. So like what I had played that and was just like, what is this form of hanging out that you can do with your <laughs> friends? This is amazing. We are hanging out, but we're all so silly people that we aren't really. <laughs> and um, so then, like, after that, I was like, I got to play Dungeons & Dragons. I don't know anything about it. I got to, like, and I, I knew enough to know, like, I need to meet a DM. And so, like, <laughs> it was in my head for a while. I was, like, on the lookout for a DM. And then at Siobhan Thompson's birthday party um, years ago, uh, who is also in the Dimension 20 cast, uh, I was talking to Brennan, who you had on last week, and he mentioned D&D, which at the time seemed like, oh, I, can't, I can't believe this came up. But now I know that he talks about D&D a lot. So, like, <laughs> naturally it would have come up. And I just cornered him. And I was like, I need you to DM a game for me. <laughs> <laughs> I have wanted to play this forever. And then, you know, like, Siobhan's one of my best friends. Murph was there. It was literally just like, it was like the party dwindled down to the people that then became our home game. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Was it in, like, a New York apartment that looked like friends as well? Um, no, actually, it was in, it was in on like an LA rooftop party. Ooh. Oh, right, that's, that's even swankier. That's even cooler. I told you, it was the lust. It was a lusty affair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, how long ago was that? Was that recent? Uh, maybe uh, it probably would have been like six years ago. Okay, uh, I don't have a great concept of time. <laughs> so, but we've been we've been playing that home game for I think at least five years. So. Wow! Wow! Really, yeah. with the same people. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Every every single December we have like a cabin trip that we just play all weekend. That's great. I've always yeah. wanted I wish you know You I, host this show and you don't have that? No, I know. I, I play all the time. I just don't have that like getaway moment. I think that would be uh, just ideal to have that like, you know, do it just do yes. it all weekend long. You, you know, gotta do it. You go out to a cabin, you all make breakfast and dinner together, you do secret Santa. And <laughs> oh, I love for that. your characters, your characters do the secret Santa. Right. Here's your plus five sword of, do of you, slaying. <laughs> do you really do that as your characters? Yeah. What sort of things do they gift each other? I love this yeah, idea. A plus five sword of slaying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. So <laughs> I definitely am like, I hope that everyone, because like a couple, a couple of them are not performers. So I'm like, I hope they're cool with me just like talking about this on air. Um, I'll say for Brennan one year got me a, because I have a wolf familiar in that campaign and he got me a wolf hat that like lit up, which is really awesome. Oh yeah. Um, oh. And, uh, and then, uh, my friend plays like a rogue who like came from a who like came from a casino family, so I got him all these like vintage poker chips and stuff like that. Uh, from that that are named Tropicana because that's the name of the casino he comes from. <laughs> I don't know. It's just this kind of stuff, you know. It's cute. That's a good idea. <laughs> that is a really good idea. <laughs> yeah, I love it. 
So then yeah, how so. did, because I also have like, short-term, short-term memory issues. And mm-hmm. so it's like every day is a new day. I don't I know, know what You're like memento. You're like it living is like it. memento. Yeah. So it's I know we talked to Murph. Maybe. No, we talked to Brennan. And I'm sure like these, this question was answered. But how does the, you're playing D&D six, five or six years ago, home game. Mm-hmm. How does it turn into a podcast? How does it turn into a podcast? Okay, I can tell you. I may. I don't know if Murph talked about this, but um, how it turns into a podcast is me, um, another kid in the podcast, and Murph had a video game, uh, a video game book club podcast where we read book adaptations of video games. Highly labor intensive. Not that many people listened, but it was very, very fun. And we were like, you know, we would do like, we would do like, um, we would do epic sessions of uh, reading like a Sonic Adventure game book and like trying to beat it and stuff like that. And then from doing that, we were like, oh, like maybe we should do a D and D podcast. And we like asked the audience, and they were like, no, 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 keep reading full books and do full books. <laughs> and we were like, okay, cool, cool. And then um, our the fourth guy who's in it runs the podcast network, and he was like, hey, I really want to play D and D. Because uh, he knew that we played D&D. And then we were just like, okay, yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess no one wants us to do this D&D podcast, but I guess we will. <laughs> and then it One went thing well. led to another, right. I mean, that's yeah. like where market research goes bad. Yeah. Where you're like, yeah. no, we don't want you to do anything that <laughs> yeah. will be really popular. You had a very invested audience in re- the hearing you read the book. So, yeah, I can see yeah. why they wouldn't want you to stray away from that. <laughs> But we're glad we you will did. return. We will return to some of those very difficult children's Sonic Adventure game books someday. Someday, yeah. yeah. I, I want to know how you would fare doing all of those things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Being a Sonic adventurer. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if you listened to Brennan's interview, but he he quoted you, and he said something that I'm like, I'm going to make a note. To ask her about this when we talk about it. To help with your short-term memory. To help, and I actually oh, did no. write it down because I have. No, it's a good one. It's a really good. This one. is the problem of having short-term memory, though, or even like even performing and having short-term memory because half the times an episode comes out and everyone's like, "Oh my god, that was crazy that you said this," and I'm like, "Wait, what did, did I, I say? What, what context was that in? Is that okay that I said that?" <laughs> <laughs> it's probably good that you you are you do improv a lot because you yeah. don't have to memorize a script. I know. <laughs> But he said that you had said when you play D&D, the memories that you have, I'm going to paraphrase, not that you'll remember saying it anyway, but Uh that when you play D&D, the memories that you have from playing don't feel any different than the memories you have of doing something in real life. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I, that was another. That was a very inspiring yeah. interview. Cause, well, because like, it's firing the same synapses in yeah, your brain. But it's really. Yeah. I've never heard somebody like articulate that before that I would say it's a very it's a very dangerous line to walk I mean I'm sure that everyone experiences that but like that means that when you have a great session you walk around and you're like I'm a I'm a a freaking hero like but when you have a bad session or like when you didn't we play like a teenage campaign and it's like playing a teenager Mm. who like didn't get to say the thing they wanted to say to the person they have a crush on, all of a sudden you're back in like feeling 
feeling that in, like teenage anxiety yeah. and that's just like living in your adult self and it is so you know it's a double-edged sword <laughs> i like that though because then you're able to work through things that you can't you can't work through anymore yeah. right like yeah, you know even if you know even if the the session might not be you know uh up to your expectations you know that like next week you can try to work on it and make it better and, and work yeah. on it whereas in real life you're like you know i don't think i want to call up you know my girlfriend from 25 years ago and <laughs> Tell her how I really feel. <laughs> I feel like out of context, it wouldn't really be, yeah. have the same effect, would it? <laughs> I don't know, man. Maybe you should try it. You know, you should call that girl. <laughs> hey, could you get into a, like a D and D campaign with me? Because like I have some stuff I want to work out. We gotta work. And I just feel like stuff. this is a great way to do it. <laughs> I'm, I'm down if she is. Yeah. Oh, here we go. Oh. Yeah, right. I'll call her. Up. Give her a call. Hey, uh, well, Donahue, this. Ingrid. <laughs> we even talked in a long time. Uh, but do you still play D&D? Okay, good. That's did a, she a, play D&D? Yeah, did she? I, I, uh, probably. I don't think she ever did, but I know she was interested in it. What do you think she would have played? Probably would have been a um, wizard because she was a uh, like an actual rocket scientist. She was like an astronomer, scientist, like oh super God, smart lady. <laughs> but she not was. as beautiful as your wife. Not as beautiful no. as my what wife. What would your wife play? She plays a turtle. She's been playing a turtle rogue in our in our game, uh, which is super okay. Good. You did right. This yeah. is the yeah. for the turtle rogue. <laughs> I agree. Being able to clam up in your shell is is very important at That's the right time. So cute. It is fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so what's it like? I mean, I I I I did play with my wife recently in the last week, uh, but we don't. She's never really loved the doing it. Like she's an actor and a performer, but she gets stressed out by uh, by improv and things like that. And she, really? you know, because yeah. And well, are you guys doing it in a performance context? No, no. no but just she's nervous about just, just around the table. She feels and, very, and with like new. It, also, sometimes new people or me, who's like again short term memory issues. I'm like a new person every time I play. <laughs> like, oh, is that that rule? What do I roll here again? <laughs> right. Uh, so I've always been trying to figure out how to get her more comfortable in doing it. And what, I don't know. Do you have any advice for for oh God, how to work I? on that? Yes, I do. And this is. I really think this is just like this is like kind of the advice that they give you in improv. And I sort of backed into realizing that I do it in D&D all that like when we started not another D&D podcast me and Murph had played a ton of D&D Caldwell had played a little bit and Jake had played not a lick of it and I going back and listening to old episodes like my I guess my strategy is very much an improv strategy which is like you just they call it like giving someone a gift so you just say like oh like where'd you get where'd you get that vest you know, and then they're like, oh, this, I'm, yeah, okay, my character's wearing a vest. Ha, yeah, I am wearing a vest. I got it from my mother. You know, like, you just kind of, like, ask them questions, but you, like, you don't say, like, how are you? You say, like, you know, like, you just, like, give them little gifts, and then that mm. sort of tends to involve people. Obviously, that's me giving advice, like, ask, like, a fellow player. The DM, I'm sure it's entirely different. It's much more, like, okay, what does their character care about? And then baiting them into coming out of their shell by coming up with something emotional enough that they don't even feel insecure, um, that they aren't even thinking about performing. But as a player, I usually just like try to like involve people, make jokes about them, you know, be like, uh, set them up by being like doing a spell that buffs them or doing a spell that, 
like involves like a two person combo or something like that, or being like, you know what, I'm going to go talk to the witch. Hey, come with me, you know? Oh, yeah. So it's like just stuff like that. That's really like. smart. Cause I think, uh, a lot of what happens is she gets, uh, like she wants to look at her character sheet and be like, I don't understand how these things work. And she concentrates on that rather than mm-hmm. the, the improv stuff, which is just like ask it about a detail, like just start a conversation and, yeah. then, and then the stuff's flow from that. Yeah. That's really And smart. usually, like, and, and a lot of times it'll be, like, the per like, if someone's feeling shy, they might, like, and you're like, where'd you get that vest? And they're like, um, uh, Target. <laughs> and then everyone laughs because they're just like, okay, Target's real in this world now. And then, like, <laughs> and then that gets them out of their shell and they're like, yeah, my vest is from Target. I'm funny. <laughs> right? All right. So, yeah. the note I'm taking is ask about vests. <laughs> yes. All right. The vests will do it. The vests. You know, I'm wondering yeah. if... Could you play D&D with a new player and not give them a character sheet? Yeah. Because do you think the character sheet is what overwhelms people, like looking at all these tiny little numbers and... Yeah. It not- could be. What do you think? I, I'm, I gotta be honest, there's a part of me that, a part of me that like really, really um, made my intro into D&D so lusty, as I previously mentioned, is the rolling. So, like, I would think another thing that gets, like, new, like, shy players invested is, like, give them a bunch of rolls. Give me a perception check. Give me this check. Give me an acrobatics check. Because then that person about our character, like, your character. All right, like, they, they say they want to... They're like, okay, you know, I actually, I'm going to dance to the violin music at the tavern. Cool. Give me a performance check. They roll poorly. You're a bad dancer. Cool. <laughs> I know my character's a bad dancer right. now, you know? So that I feel like. The backstory. And I also, like, I love the gambling aspect of it. <laughs> so, you know, I feel like the, the numbers are fun because gambling is fun. <laughs> gambling is fun. Yeah. But yeah. I, I did, when I played with my, with my kids for the first time, they were like two and four. They were like super young. And I, you know they could barely that read. That is so cute. It is very cute, but I didn't, I didn't, I didn't really have a character sheet. I just kind of gave them like, a, "You're good at fire, and you're you yeah. know, bad at dancing, or whatever it is." Like, and then just kind of had that in front of them, and uh, let it just be a little bit more like an improv game. And that, that that's helped. what I'm gonna do because my niece, um, I, her name is Isis. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, but this <laughs> Are you has sorry? always been her name. Uh, it's just always an awkward thing to. I mean, look, look I'm probably on like no fly lists and stuff like that just from texting about Isis so much. But <laughs> my niece, my niece Isis, is uh, this summer like she's a seven came up to me and Murph and she was like, like when we were at the beach house and she was like, I want to know more about D and D. We're like, <laughs> did she like whisper it to you? Was she yes. like, Psst, I want to know. Yes. She wants it to be her <laughs> secret thing that the other cousins don't get to know about. No. So we're like, Yeah. So then I was like, let's make you a character. And she got so into character creation, but she was like, maybe when I'm eight, we'll play. Oh. Like she wasn't ready to play yet. So for her eighth birthday, we're gonna go out there and like run our, our little game for her for the oh my first God, time for amazing. her. Which now she has two characters. I got a text the other day from my brother that was like, Isis wants to know if she can have two characters and their sisters. And oh. I was like, Yeah. Oh, because she she's do always wanted she's got an amazing little backstory going on here. Is she an only child? Nope, she has two siblings. <laughs> She's the oldest, though. I think, like, whenever I hang out with her, she wants to be my sister. Oh. So I think she wants, like, an older sister. Or she wants, like, a sister who's a peer or something. 
but that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I thought the, I thought so she was trying to create a, a new younger sibling for herself because yeah, that's the no, thing. I she's got a crazy younger sister. Oh, she's like, but I want a good one. Yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she's this like, is what it would, too wild. should be like. But that's really good advice to like make it kind of just improv because I I think when I like if I do it for her, I don't know if I'll do it or Murph will run it, but. Pretty much every spell she tries to cast will work. <laughs> right. Yeah. I know. I did this thing, and this was back when that same session when they were super young, and uh, there was a wolf coming at them. I was trying to, like, here's the one thing of tension I was going to do was a real snarling wolf, and I tried to describe it as scary as possible. And uh, my oldest, Edna, was like, I'm going to try and tame the wolf because I like pets. And I was like, all right. <laughs> I mean, I was, like, trying to really sell it. Like, this, you're going to die unless you, you know, try to fight this thing. And she's like, I'm going to try and tame it. And she brought out some rations and was going to try to give it food. I'm like, roll your D20. And fully uh, assuming she was going to fail and then we, you know, going to get from there. She rolled a nat 20. And I'm like, well, crap. You tame this wolf, and it is your best friend well, now it's forever. It's your slick well, back, and you can tell its demeanor is now polite. Yeah, and it starts, <laughs> or, or, and you start eating the food. And, I, I just, and you could see her face, even though... The tension was there because she certainly was like, what is this going to end up being? But, like, her face melted at the fact that she now had a pet that she could love and hold yeah. and, and snuggle. So that was when worth my, it. When my mom played – because, like, my dad loves D&D and we play with my dad. Um, and actually the rest of my family loves D&D. But my mom doesn't really like D&D because she doesn't want to hurt people. So the first oh, time yeah. that we played with her, she was like – I just want to play someone who heals people. I just oh. want to hurt people. <laughs> so she was a really polite cleric, but you could tell that she was deeply uncomfortable with it the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> All the slaying yeah. and burning yeah. and death. That's, every, every party needs a cleric. It's That's good. I'm glad that she yeah. was there. Does yeah. she, well, clerics if, are pretty pretty badass, and they can really cause some damage, too. <laughs> is she? Um, would she be okay if it was, like, monsters and not people or like cute wolves if it was just like a beholder i think i think she is the kind of person who <laughs> i don't think there's anything she would be cool with killing <laughs> i think she would be in for the redemption story of like a knoll <laughs> oh. so, yeah so when i played D with my mom and dad and my dad was deeply disturbed by how much my mom wanted to kill things. <laughs> it's the exact yeah. opposite. Like, she was a dwarf. She was just like, I'm like, okay, you guys, you're in a tavern. She's like, who am I going to kill? Why, is he looking at me? Is yeah. he look? I'm going to get it. My dad's like, what are we doing here? Like, we're just talking. Yeah. That was kind of like my sister because my sister's like a human rights lawyer. But, like, her character, she was like, I want to play a warlock tiefling <laughs> just like all out like the most like different than her real life yes i feel like people either it's they like, go like complete opposite of who they yeah. truly are or they find a character that's very very much like them yeah there's really no middle ground there <laughs> you're either playing someone <laughs> that you're not or you want to be or or yourself but like a really cool heroic magical version of yeah. yourself yeah. yeah was the first character that you created was that like a uh a uh um, like a power fantasy for you? Um, the first character I created was a radical vegan gnome druid. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> it was an expression of of something deep in my soul, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Are you a radical vegan? <laughs> no, but I desperately wish I was. <laughs> <laughs> that makes so, sense. Uh, yeah. Why gnome? What was, what, was, what was your affinity with the gnomes? 
thought it sounded cute as hell. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm curious what what character did your um, your niece was it your niece? Wait, now short term memory. Yeah. Isis. No, 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 what did she create? Niece. She you remembered created, Isis. That's good. <laughs> she wanted. I actually because I because like, like my character for not another D and D podcast is a druid, and she wanted to do a druid. Oh, cute. She she wanted to do a druid elf, which is exactly what my character is, and she named her Woodland, like W O O D L I N D, and she had hair that looked like um changing the changing leaves of fall. Oh, she made that she up. Had, yes, she, this all just like poured from her, and she had a I believe a squirrel companion named rabbit or something like that like you do love it yeah that's perfect yeah yeah Yeah. and then and then her alter ego is the warlock tiefling (laughs) that's the other (laughs) side of the coin the sister oh no 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 that that's my literal sister in real life that my sister is like a very righteous person who wanted to play just an evil tiefling (laughs) you got to get it out somehow you spend all day being so good right you want to bash some monsters yeah I want to make yeah. some packs with demons, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned that you're not sure if if you're going to run it or uh, if Murph is. Are you, have you been uh, a dungeon master in some aspects? I have DM'd once in my life. How did it go? Very recently. Honestly, I was really bad, but I know all the ways that I was really bad, and uh, it was still fun. <laughs> so I definitely am excited to to try again. Who who but, did you DM for? I DM for Brennan okay. and my friend Siobhan and uh, Caldwell, who's in on another D&D podcast, and this guy named Murph, I think. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Did, so what, when you said you know all the ways that you were bad... Yeah. Um, here's, here's the first thing I did wrong. I am such a player-focused character, or, like, like a, I'm always, like, I'm, I'm so player-focused that all of them were, like, oh, can we be this level? And I'm like, yes, you can. And they're like, oh, if we could be just one level higher, I could do this cool thing. And I was like, cool. And the, the level kept getting higher and higher until they were level seven. So my very first game was just running oh. like like encounters for level seven characters when I've never run an encounter in my life. Uh, yes. <laughs> um, so that was probably a mistake. And then I also, <clears throat> I think I also... You know, like you always hear people say, oh, it needs to be a sandbox. It's a sandbox, Um, which is very cool. But it means that I spent so much time creating this massive world for one little one little thing. And so when it came down to they just did a fraction of what I planned (laughs) and the things because I planned so much, the things that they actually did, I was like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Oh, no. How, now how do I do that? <laughs> so I just kind of like overplanned and made it way too high of a level. But it was also still really fun. So it's also kind of fun to be like um, not good at something. <laughs> to challenge yourself. Yeah. yeah and to yeah. try new things. Right, Shelly? Yeah. I guess. <laughs> I, I'm a scared dungeon master because I had a Wait. bad experience too, but I did not find it fun nor excited to try again. Sigh. <laughs> <laughs> when I was in college, I <laughs> when I was in college, I did stand up comedy 
Um, and I pretty much did it because the first time I did it, I was really bad. And I was like, what a rush to suck at something. Wow. <laughs> so then I just kept doing it because it felt like, no, 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 I think I can do this. I need to prove to myself that I can do this. So I, I think I got a, a little bit bit by that, like, by that, like, no, 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 I need to, I need to prove to this, uh, circumstance which, which bested me that I can best it. Hmm. I need a little of that. Yeah. yeah. Can you can you bottle some of that gumption and, and send, it, <laughs> send it our way? Yeah, I absolutely can. It's highly alcoholic. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's actually just Tito's, Tito's vodka. It's Tito's vodka. Weird. This gumption tastes like vodka. <laughs> I know, right. Well, and there's some orange juice in and it, that, too. I can feel the effects happening already. <laughs> Did the players help you? Wait. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's that's why it was so fun. It was I also I don't know if it was a mistake to do it for my three DMs. Like I like I wanted to do it because it's like these three DMs that I've worked with, I have had so much fun playing in their worlds. Like I wanna give back. But at the same time there was a mistake in that because suddenly I'm DMing for like the people that I've looked up to this entire time. And so it's like Oh God! Oh God! They know everything I'm doing wrong. They know everything I'm doing yeah, yeah, yeah. wrong. That's like my biggest fear. <laughs> Everyone's just gonna know. Like you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. Wait. So like, what has your course. experience been, Shelley? <laughs> I tried. I don't even know why. I think I was like writing an article about like how to become a dungeon master when you don't know anything, and I experimented okay. and uh, it went very poorly. It was like the nicest people. How did it, how did it go poorly? Uh, similar to you, I over I overplanned. But I, yeah. I didn't – I over – in my mind, I was like, this is what happens, and then this, and then this, and then yeah. that. And then when we started and they didn't do what I thought they were going to do initially, everything mm-hmm. fell apart because I didn't yeah. have a backup plan. Like I, I said, you will go right, and they were like, actually, we're going left. And I'm like, I don't know what's to the left, <laughs> and I don't want to play anymore. And you're like, cool. Um a desert landscape approaches you. <laughs> and you all fall in quicksand <laughs> and die. Yeah, and I just, like, completely forgot how to do any sort of checks. Um, I didn't know, like, to, to ask them, like, if when they were like, can I do this? I'm like, I don't, I don't really know. Yeah. Maybe you can. Like, I just forgot everything. It and sounded then, like yeah. you were bombing at a stand-up. And yeah. it just got worse and worse and worse. And yeah. you weren't really sure what to do. But unlike Emily, I was like, <laughs> I am never doing this again. I am a grown-ass woman, and nobody can make me be a dungeon master. Bye. No, it's good. You know what? You should look at it as like, oh, my gosh, part of my brain has a chance to get bigger. There's a part of my brain I mm. haven't been using, and yes. it is weak and i have a chance to take it to the freaking gym uh, I'm, you I go to the gym mean, a lot more than anybody I else do. does that i know um so sh- in case like our bosses are listening <laughs> <laughs> you're always at the gym no i'm work not hours. by the gym you mean like that conference room where i'm diligently working <laughs> yeah yes, like yes, giving my fingers too. a workout on Ye- my computer yeah <laughs> i do that all the time so i like the kind of person like I was never really good at sports. I'm not coordinated. And in high school, like, we had to play softball. And it was like I would go to school with, like, the anxious stomach. I'm like, I'm going to have to swing a bat today. And I always struck out because I can't hit a ball with a bat. I just can't. And I can't catch Uh a ball. And it was like I said to myself, I'm like, you're 14 now. 
my God, one day you're going to be an adult and you nobody can make you play softball. And I'm like, you're right, Shelly, future Shelly. Nobody ever is going to make me play softball. And I think I had the same experience with that horrible dungeon mastering that I was like, guess you're just a player. And Damn never for me. Shelly, DM for me because I will bring so much. Emily, I almost couldn't talk to you on this interview. (laughs) Here's the thing. Maybe, you know what? Maybe your players weren't supportive enough because I'm sitting in the room with a first time DM. I am. My spirit is there. I'm there 150%. I'm asking all the questions. Snapping all the fingers. You're like, snapping all the fingers. (laughs) I'm making sure that you're feeling good. DM for me. You'll feel better. Okay. I will. I'm going to do that. <laughs> We're going to do it at Let's D&D it. Live 2020. <laughs> D&D Live on the stage in front of thousands. <laughs> With lots of lights. <laughs> no pressure. No pressure at all. No. No. Yeah, I would say definitely don't do it live. Yeah. <laughs> well, I feel like that's, that's yeah. exactly the right place for me to do it. Did you, I mean, going back, because uh, your, your experience you were talking about with doing stand-up and bombing and, 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 yeah. and working on it hard, that feels a lot like dungeon mastering to me now. Like, I, I did stand-up for that's a couple it. of years, and like, but I like that rush of having, you know, it's not, you know, the lot, tons of people that would be at clubs or anything like that, but there is those four or five people around you that are just waiting for you to be awesome. You know, yeah. right? Yeah. And they're like, "All right, tell me, tell me the cool thing so I can laugh and have fun with my friends." And yeah. if that doesn't, you know, if it doesn't, you don't meet those expectations. I, I understand the the pressure there. Yes. But how yeah. do you? How, did it feel similar when you were dungeon mastering? Yes, I felt so. Like the maybe the scariest part was like even just whenever it was time. If it was like cool, okay, we're gonna do that, and I'm like, okay, now it's time for me to narrate them going to do that. Yeah. None of them are going to talk. It's just going to be me talking. <laughs> I'm just going to talk for a minute. And these four people, who I love with all my heart, are going to look at me. <laughs> 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 like, it was like, it, it was kind of, it was the rush of like, I'm terrified, but like, I have to do it. Like, maybe like the foot on the tightrope feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love that because, you, you know, it's a lot less stakes than, than actually being in front of, you know, people at a in, a in a club or something like that but that's yes yeah, yeah. And that's definitely true it's like stand up it's like if you <laughs> did poorly like no one was rooting for you but like when i was dming for my closest friends you know surprisingly they were rooting for me yeah surprisingly yeah <laughs> well that's the thing like as a player i never sit down at the table and like feel like Come on, Dungeon what Master. What you got, DM? What are you going to do for I me know. today? Like, I'm always That's just what like, I'm saying. oh, I'm so grateful that you're here to tell me a story and that you're yes. willing to, like, do this amazingly difficult job. I've never, yeah. like, I've never had an expectation that it's all on the Dungeon Master and that I'm going to be really pissed off if I yes. don't have fun. Yeah, Never. that's the thing is like, like yes, me feeling anxious of, okay, now I have to narrate them doing this. Ugh, this is terrifying. I'm going to take up space and they're all going to get bored while I talk. And yet yeah. when it's the flip side, I'm just like, oh, this is narration? I'm in. <laughs> yeah. Everything you say is fascinating. <laughs> Tell me about this new room we just walked into. <laughs> are there velvet drapes? Is there a decanter of wine? You really are thirsty for D&D. <laughs> <laughs> I am, yeah. It's a little lusty. It's lusty. <laughs> I, so do you think there would ever be, like, a crossover? Like, it's, First of all, it, will there be more Hot Date? <laughs> I need um, I need we, do have, we have a second season um, that went on Pop TV, and I don't 
No, I'm assuming it's going to go on Netflix okay. because I think that uh, Netflix was happy with it. So I'm assuming it's going to show up on Netflix. I hope so. <laughs> um, will there ever be like a D&D hot date episode? Okay. This is so funny because we wrote one for season one and they were they were like, what is Dungeons and Dragons? Oh, and we were like, what? so we changed it to be like a game of werewolf. Oh, it was like, it's like basically like we wrote it to be we wrote it to be this episode about like uh, the Merv and Emily characters at a dinner party at like a board game night, uh, like a game night with a new couple who was like going through a breakup and how they like oh. accidentally like make this character break up. It was supposed to be about we tried to do like a and d adjacent like we were like coming up with like, you know, a and d adjacent, but not copyrighted in specifics um but uh the notes we got were what is this <laughs> really so we changed it to be sort of like a sort of like a werewolf parallel because i think at the time that we were writing it more people it was also like we were writing this like so long ago that uh, like i don't think D was having uh the visibility that it is now but werewolf was. I know. I'm like, what like, they got? Werewolf? Niche. Yeah, niche. That's more. Niche I think. Than... I think that like Hollywood executives love werewolf. <laughs> so we were able to get away with that. They're like, hey, it's Twilight and True <laughs> yes, Blood. Exactly. I get. I get werewolf. Yeah, we can understand that. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's what so, it was. Yeah, we did try to do that. Okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. Bring it back. Yeah, you might have to. Maybe you could just dust now, that one off. I think we could have made it happen now. For right? sure. Yeah. And we'll give you permission. I'm pretty yes. sure we can give you guys permission to yes. use it. We'll even send you, you, you products to, to use on set. Oh, my God. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> your video froze for a little while, and all we saw was your... <laughs> or did it freeze, or did I just hold that pose? <laughs> you are that good. God, you are a quintuple threat. <laughs> yeah, becoming a statue is the fifth one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Tito froze. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> oh, he tricked me. Right? Ooh, I'm pretty worried. good. I've been practicing. I was super worried. Yeah. <laughs> so let, tell us about the characters that you you play in all of these different podcasts. Okay. Um, in the in Not Another D&D podcast, I play a character named Moonshine Sybin, and she is a Circle of Spores druid. Um, we made her when it came out on Unearthed Arcana, so she's like an Unearthed Arcana Circle of Spores druid. Um She's uh, also a Crick Elf, which is basically uh, sort of a um, hillbilly elf. Um, I grew up with a Crick in my backyard, uh, and so I kind of just took a lot of those specifics and turned it into sort of a uh, freckled, rough-around-the-edges hillbilly elf. When you say Crick, um, you mean like yeah, Creek? That's that's oh like a, yeah, like that's creek? what a crick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's like a, a little body of water, but I don't know. In some regions, people just call it a Crick. Mm. Yep. So, yes, so I grew she's up a with crick both. elf. You grew up with a crick? Cricks and creeks. <laughs> oh, really? Because crick is more southern? <laughs> I think so. I, I don't know. know. I mean, I mean I'm it's from the same upstate thing. New York. Yeah. I'm from upstate New York. But Me upstate too. New York has this, like, little, yeah, upstate New York has this kind of, like, southern, has, like, these kind of, like, almost southern pockets to it that are a little yeah. rougher around the edges. Where did you grow up? I grew up outside of Albany, New York. Oh, I grew up in Binghamton. Yeah. Wow, okay. Yeah. We both had state schools. Yes, exactly. SUNY. SUNY Albany. We both had SUNYs. Yeah. 
<laughs> yes. I was born in Syracuse, New York. Um, so yes. there's like okay. this, this weird, you well, know, good Bermuda. Mall. Not a state school, but yet another yep. college. In not a state school. New York. That's true. That's true. <laughs> so yeah, you're sparkling. Yeah. You're not a state school. You're fancy. <laughs> <laughs> I did go to UConn. That's pretty much a state school okay, in right. Connecticut, I guess. What um, else? Trying to fit then, in. Trying to fit in. <laughs> <laughs> A transparent attempt to fit in. <laughs> Please, <laughs> Please. <laughs> Um, And then my other characters are, I play, um, these are all like the sort of like performing characters. Uh, I play a bard that plays uh, rock and roll. Uh, she plays the bass. Uh, she's a tiefling. Yeah. Um, and she's just kind of like a spicy little teenager. Um, and then I also play... In another campaign with Brennan, I play uh, sort of a Fran Drescher <laughs> style. She did it again. She froze halfway uh, through. So she's kind of just like, did I? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. The- um, I'll try and give you guys really good facial expressions. So it, it works. Out. It works really good. <laughs> you were like mid Fran Drescher. <laughs> <laughs> so- um. But yeah, so I, yeah, I, I play a, a Fran Drescher drunken monk. She's basically like a, uh, a, a divorcee from Staten Island who's uh, uh, kicking ass. <laughs> What's it like playing the music? Because uh, you know, I want to do. Are you writing music? Are you are you oh, yeah. uh, uh, singing along as when you're the the bard? Oh, when I'm the bard? No, I. Well, well I mean, I kind of just like usually before I go have a session, like I listen to a bunch of Primus because Primus is like real good, like bass-driven rock. A lot of slap. So it like yep. gets me into the zone. But I usually just kind of like mime it, and then I like you know usually it'll just turn into chaos, and then I'm like big whips at her bass, and then I'm like boom, boom, boom. But I do write the music for not another D and D podcast, but that's separate. Oh. Yeah. How does that, have you always been writing music or is that something, a new skill? Um, it's a skill that I, I used to always write weird little albums just as like a creative outlet for emotions. Um, but, uh, yeah. Then once we started doing not another D podcast, it was like Murph was like, I just, I don't have the right song for this moment. And I was like, mm, I think I could write it. And then we just, now I've written, just hundreds of songs for it. Oh. <laughs> so <That's> yeah, amazing. <clears throat> so that's like the songs to like like punch up a moment in the in, that happens in the game. Yeah, like usually it'll just be like, <clears throat> and now like I'll, I'll sort of when we're playing I'll be like, ooh, this is a good this is a good moment. I want to write music for this, but you know it'll be like a it, mostly we're a very very goofy podcast, but there will be some serious moments that all that, you know, it just really kind of like helps sell a moment to have some music yeah. behind it. Yeah. Kind of like the, like the more emotional moments or things it'll, or to like make things way scarier. Also, I really like writing spooky and scary music or to like make things like the stakes really high. It's usually like Murph will introduce some really crazy monster and I'll come up with some like really creepy or really intense track or it'll be like one of the characters has like, you know, has a, I don't want to give anything away so I'm choosing my words carefully. One of, one of the characters has a, has closure for something bad that happened and I'll write something sad and sweet or, you know, stuff like that. 
I grew up watching a lot of Final or playing a lot of Final Fantasy VI and was obsessed with the soundtrack. So it's pretty much me writing Final Fantasy music. That's really cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like it's like uh, creating a score for for an improv yeah. game. Uh, yeah. I love that. Yeah. Uh, it's it's much harder to do that on the fly, but I've I've been really experimenting. Oh, yeah. I don't do it on the fly. No, Let I me know. Be clear. Yeah. Okay. I'm not like sitting in the room. <laughs> <laughs> noodling <laughs> while he plays. <laughs> also, that would be so distracting for the other players and so difficult to edit around. <laughs> we have had a guy. It was uh, uh, with the Dragon Friends podcast. I was podcast. just thinking, trying yeah, to figure out, remember who that was. One of our events, and he was uh, his name was Benny. And uh, that was the thing was that he, there was you know really? four, five or six people playing, but then he was on the keyboard in the background, and he just. You know, That's he, great, he yeah. had the improv skills where he could do something dramatic, a stinger. He could do yeah. more creepy, like, background music. He could go real quiet and go real loud. Yeah. And it added this, like, kind of, you know, performance type feel to it. Kind of like someone, uh, the piano player playing uh, the music behind the uh, silent films, you know, era. You know, yeah. Like, always doing that. And as a performer, it's really fun to have music. Like, Brennan always does a, such an amazing job DJing, which, like, Look, Brennan Mulligan is a freaking insane DM, but one thing that he does amazingly that doesn't even get talked about is he just has the best royalty-free music cues that he'll throw in, and, like, he'll be describing something the most poetically creepy, and then he'll start a freaking track that you're just like, all right, now I'm absolutely terrified. I'm absolutely terrified. (laughs) So he's also a great DJ. He's a great DJ DM. That is a good skill to have. Yeah. Yeah. We we have a partner called Sirenscape, which uh, has like an interface that you can use that helps with a lot of that. And I've been experimenting with it. It's, really? It's really fun because you can be like, oh, here we're in the, you know, the sewers. And it has like a soundscape that you can go- be in. And then all of a sudden there's, you know, dripping things and there's goblins in the background. It seems like another thing to have on your plate. Yeah. It just seems like another crazy thing to have on your plate, though, when you already have so many little pages with oh, little yeah. creatures on them. I'm not ready for that. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> Although I could just, like, level. sit there DMing. <laughs> things go sideways and I just, like, turn on a track and just sit there. Well, hope you guys... Figure this one out. <laughs> Just explore the room, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Just play some music. I know. I talk to people who use other, like players actually can be a good help for this. Like, or, if, or like a co-DM or something like that. Someone who's oh, like running the... co-DM? Yeah. That's yeah. wild. Yeah. It's, it's, that's taking shape a lot because there, you're, it almost takes two different skill sets, right? There's the person yeah. who's the good improviser and good... Uh, um, you know, voice actor and things like that. But then there's also uh-huh. the person who's got like the whole meta plot in their brain uh, yeah. to do things. And sometimes, you know, having two people share that can can help. Uh-huh. Me and Murph should try. We're, you know, pretty much same brain from living together and working together and being around each other all the time. We probably could slide into that. Yeah. I Not like that, that he needs a codium though. He's, he's a... a you know, beautiful bird who flies in the sky. So I don't <laughs> think he needs anything to weigh him down. <laughs> I think his ears are burning from... You're like, you're a bird. Yes. <laughs> Flying away. Flying away. But that'd be really interesting to see. Yes, it would. I mean, because obviously you're an awesome DM and getting better and, and he's an awesome DM oh, and getting no, worse. Oh, no, I'm, 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 I'm getting a terrible worse. DM, <laughs> <laughs> you're bringing him down. 
You know, honestly, I would say that I would say that I can't imagine he's so amazing. I can't imagine him getting better. So you're right. I think the only direction is down. Yeah, he's at he's at the peak. He's at the pinnacle. (laughs) Yeah, meet him halfway. No, he's gonna keep reinventing the game. That's what my husband's gonna do. (laughs) (laughs) Great DM. It's only as great as their players. That's right. Right. So you got to recruit some good players. Looks like you, uh, Emily, is gonna be look, ready to, well, to play I with you. Look good, I my, promise. I'll okay. Look good. Okay. <laughs> I think if I had a co DM, I could do it. Yeah. Like, you actually were a co DM with me when. Uh, so we played about a, a week ago with some new players, and uh, I was telling her before that it was really useful to have someone being like, "I think that's a role that you can do to the other new players that are around," and it was it was fantastic. I didn't have to be the only. You know, I, I didn't feel like on the spot at all. Okay, good. You didn't feel like, hey, mind your own business. No, no, okay. no, no. This is my story. <laughs> <laughs> Shelly, what did you play? What were you playing for this? This for is this my Tabaxi Ranger. <gasps> sure shot. Pa, pa, pa. <laughs> I love her. That's so cute. Yeah, I switched. I used to be, a, I used to play Magic users exclusively, and then I realized mm, that, um, I that it's problem. so easy to be a Ranger. Like, you just Wait, but, fire okay. your bow. What um what level were you? Did you have like a did you choose what type of ranger you were yet? That's what we were first level. Yeah, because it was new oh, people, okay. so I didn't want to uh, th- I didn't want to start with a seventh level uh, campaign. Yeah, because yeah, they It's not a good idea. Because <laughs> <laughs> suddenly you're running encounters that are really high, way complicated, all of a sudden, <laughs> and have yeah. lots of lots of text underneath them, and suddenly you're like, oh man, I'm lost <laughs> for just a fully walk. <laughs> right. just give me a goblin that can just. Give me a mean goblin. I just want to play a mean goblin. <laughs> right. Yeah, so we were first level, but yeah, it does get more complicated the, the, for rangers, as with all the characters. It's, as you just get farther. Seems, it's a class that I, I think I'm intimidated by because I, I've I've seen a couple people play it and I've seen them kind of struggle to really nail, although I have seen one person play a Gloomstalker ranger and clean house. Mm. <laughs> that was an insane, that was an insane uh, type of ranger. You mean as is the, the amount of damage that they could do? Yeah. Yeah. It was cool. <laughs> One of my it first, was awesome to watch. My first big character was uh, uh, in 3.5 era, and it was a half-elf ranger who... <gasps> 3.5 is what my first campaign was. Me too. Yeah. That's what I learned on. Yeah. And those rangers could kick ass. Like, but I was have doing, uh, really? like, six attacks around. I was Ooh. doing, like, 150 points of damage over the course oh. of the game. Uh, at what level? At, like, 22. Oh, Because I got Jeez, up there. 22. I've yeah. never... What, what's the highest level you've ever played, Emily? Highest level? I, honestly, a lot of my characters haven't really gone that high. Probably Moonshine Sybin is my highest that I've ever gotten to. And she's level 14. Well, she has one class, one one level barbarian, thirteen druid. But I think we're about to level up. Ooh, what are you gonna take next? Do you think? I'm I'm just sticking druid for the rest of it. Oh, she yeah. just has it because circle of spores. Since it go, since it has that fungal form. You paused. kind of attacking a bit. Um, I uh, I I like t- taking a level of barbarian so that I can do that. And do a little damage and and suck up a little damage too. That makes also, sense. I just role play wise, I love just being like get being able to like wrestle someone and get advantage on the strength check. <laughs> so <laughs> you can rage out. 
Yeah. So with your with your background in improv, and mm-hmm. <clears throat> I'm going to bring up Hot Date again because it's the best show, um, and all of the different characters that you and Murph play on Hot Date and mm-hmm. your D&D characters, is there a similarity in how you create your sketch comedy characters with how you create your D&D characters? Like the, you mentioned before, like when you were talking about your characters, you said these are the ones I perform with. So I'm mean, yeah. like there's a difference between your home game characters and your performing characters. Oh, I think I was just saying that to say like these are the ones that people that would people know. would know. Okay, yeah. Is there a difference? I think with Hot Date, I, we usually come at it from like what's a funny like sort of sketch comedy angle, and then fill in the characters. You know, because like we we write that show, so it's like and it's a pretty intensive writing process. So a lot of times we're just trying to get the trying to get the script done and then get to set and and we're like cool what is this character you know it's like a little more a little more on the fly with my D characters i know like i have to live into this person so i usually like choose something i want to i usually choose something that i like want to work through uh and and kind of i'm like that's that person that this is perhaps this is perhaps too personal but like when i i took on moonshine she's like she's basically like this super fertile elf but doesn't want to be a a mom and that was like kind of like me being like maybe i don't want kids i'm a very maternal person a lot of ways but maybe i don't want kids i guess i'll just play moonshine for two years and figure out if that feels right (laughs) (laughs) so i think i usually like take something that is like on my mind and and channel that in that's really I think one of the powers of Dungeons and Dragons is that it allows you to work through stuff in a safe space. We've talked to tons of people who are dealing with uh, uh, people who are dealing with PTSD or yeah. or, or uh, you know trying to figure out where their gender, like their actual gender roles are, and they'll try out yeah. different gender roles with things. And yeah. you know, but it doesn't need to be. You know, it can also just be like, hey, I want to find out if I want kids or not, or at least you know, explore it's those ideas like, in a safe way. Yeah, yeah, or even like, yeah, there's. There's other examples, but maybe I'll just be proud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. so it's the opposite. So story first and then characters when it's comedy. When yeah, it's, and definitely. Then character first and then does the – so when you're playing with Brennan or Murph, do they kind of come up with – like when you guys are starting something new, the knowing what everyone's characters are, is that where the story then comes from? Or you know, is it more it's kind of different with both of them? Because with Dimension 20, do you, we usually do shorter things. Like it's like I'm going to live in this character for 12 to 20 episodes when so like, yeah, we have like character creation. And that's also a party of of seven people, six people. So it's like we need to make sure that it's like a balanced party. So it's like we all get together. We're pitching character ideas you know, making sure that we're not all coming in and being like, I'm going to be a wizard. And then it's just six wizards. Um, but so that's like, that's that character process. Um, and then for not another D and D campaign, actually the Crick elf was a rejected idea from, uh, dimension 20. Oh. <laughs> so then, cause we had like filmed, we, we were doing like this, like teenage sort of John Hughes sort of vibe. And I was like, I want to be a Crick elf. And Brennan was like, I love you, Emily, but um, that doesn't really make sense with the genre. And I was like, very fair, very, very fair. <laughs> um, and then so I was like, came up with this Crick Elf. And then I, when we started Not Another D&D podcast, I was like, uh, 
can I play the Krieg Elf? And then Murph was like, yeah. And then, you know, that kind of built the world. And then we're about to start our next campaign. And so, like, me and the other players have been, like, texting kind of character ideas and stuff like that. So, it's you know, it's kind of all bouncing off of each other. Yeah, I would say the character creation process is, like, is pretty pretty open with the entire group. What are some, yeah. uh, I mean, you know, I, I've, I was looking at chat earlier and everyone was really excited about uh, name dropping all the other cast members and things like that. So like, you know, what's been, what's been a big part of, of uh, playing with them and seeing their characters change over time uh, that, that you've enjoyed? Um, which, which one? The one for NADPOD. 20 or NADPOD? NADPOD. Oh, what's been the great part about playing with them? Yeah. Uh, the great part about playing with Jake is watching someone play D&D for the first time. Like the very first episode when, when he, the very first episode when he like you know someone very classic someone in a tavern is rude to him and he's like, I punch him, <laughs> and then Murph and then Murph as the DM he's like, do you want to hit him with your axe and he's like, yeah, <laughs> like, just like so like shocked and like watching him slowly get bit by the bug has been so fun. And, uh, I mean, playing with Caldwell, me and Caldwell are very, very similar in that we like to get creative. That might be the nicest way to say it. We're, we're both just, like, we'll both just, like, get obsessed with something stupid and derail the podcast by being obsessed with something stupid. So it's, like, so much fun that we're both uh, stupid. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you mean by stupid? Just doing things that are not optimal? Like, Is that okay, here's what I'll say. No, no, no. This, I have a very specific example. There was this one episode where we were up against, we were basically in a Wizards tournament, and one of the other computer, like, uh, c- competitors uh, was Murph introduces, and he's like, and there's these other competitors, and... They're like they're like these creatures from the sky, and they're made of worms. And both me and Caldwell are like, "Who are these beautiful creatures?" And we were obsessed. Both of us immediately obsessed to the point where Jake was like, "I don't know. I don't even know. I don't care about this. Why are you guys so obsessed with this?" And so it's like me and Caldwell will just be like, "Star Spawn, Star Spawn. We love Star Spawn. We want to know more about the worm folks. Are the worm folks okay? What are the worm folks doing?" So. It's kind of like having like a fun uh, friend who's willing to uh, go somewhere really silly with you. I want to know more about these worm folks. I do too. But as a, I that made me nervous thinking about like, what if Murph didn't plan to tell you that much about the worm folk, and now you really want to know about them? Silly, it's the DM paranoia back. But see, Murph is just Murph is just so good at rolling with it that he's just like, all right, you guys are obsessed with the star spawn. Cool, we'll have more star spawn. Yeah, (laughs) like yeah, he's just. It there's comes some, naturally to There's him. something really freeing about allowing the player's interest to direct you too. Yes. Like, right? Like, and that's what I was doing when we when we played last week was just like, all right, well, if that's what you want to do, that's what I'm making up right now. And then all of a sudden yeah. it becomes something that you remember and go forward. And it's not it shouldn't be a, a nervous inducing thing. It should be like it a It should not be. It's a yes and moment. Yeah. Yeah. I'll get there. You I think you will, Shelly. I'll get and, there. You, you seem know real what? defeated. When I'm in your game, when I'm in your game and I'm like, hey, can I do actually like a perception check to see if there are any worm creatures around and then <laughs> roll a nat 20? 
You're um, actually going to be excited. I am. I'm going to say <laughs> there. you look around and uh-huh. you're 100% sure there are no worm creatures here. Oh, okay. <laughs> and now I don't have to cool. describe the worm creatures. Um, all right. And now can I do a survival check to see if there's any worms in puddles? And can I find enough? And then I roll another nat 20. Okay. And then I would say you bend down to look into a puddle to see if there's right. a worm there. And yeah. all of a sudden you feel something sucking on your face. Oh, it attacks you and it pulls you down into Is the puddle. Is it a puddle. worm? Don't know. <laughs> Oh my gosh. But and see, I'm, I'm invested now. I'm invested now. Do I roll initiative? And Are we that's where we'll pick up when we play together. <laughs> <laughs> You've learned. Literally down the wormhole. <laughs> Nailed it. Nailed it. Okay. All right. I'm invested too. I want to see where this goes. Okay. I know. You can be there too. You can try to I pull see. her out of the hole. Oh, although now I'm kind of curious what's on the other side of the hole. Right. You should be like, no, okay, no, no, let I, me go. Let me go. Are there, are there worms here's there? Here's a sneak peek. I go limp and I give in to the wormhole. Okay, but now Greg's there. Do you want to try to, to save her? Um, uh, No, I jump I right reach in. My, You're going to? I reach okay. my hand out like uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger in oh, Terminator, God. and I invite you into the wormhole. <laughs> I I take a moment like, ah, I'm getting too old for this, and I roll up my sleeves and dive straight into the hole. Okay, so now you're both in the hole. Well, I'm, I'm in it. Okay, so you're just free falling for like right. oh months. Months. <laughs> well, this is fun. I will. I will. Uh, do we know it? Do we see each other? Um, I have great food and I have great water stock, so I'm just making us meals. Yes, as, as you're falling. Fall. Yes, <laughs> it's very this narrow though, so you There's can't nothing. be in tandem with each other. It's very narrow. You only one and. You have to go single file down oh. the wormhole. Okay, well, I'm below him, so I'm throwing up the food. I'm throwing up the food to him. Wait, I thought it was, it's not a human caterpillar type situation. <laughs> <laughs> well, we could do that. We could do that. It's pretty can gross. We roll to do that? <laughs> can we roll to a human caterpillar? Okay, so what, what skill would you roll mending? for that? <laughs> if you I wanna, would, what, would, what skill would that be? I would um, say yes. I would think Medicine. sleight of hand. <laughs> Medicine. <laughs> sleight of hand. I'm like, I am proficient in surgeon's tools, so... <laughs> Okay. Let's do it. <laughs> do it. All right. So we're. I'm. We're. You already start. You're already DMing. You're. It's happening. You're I'm DMing. inspired now. I'm gonna think about this now. Okay. <laughs> give me. Just give me a couple days. <laughs> That's how. Don't it prepare works, too right? much. Don't prepare too much. <laughs> Don't prepare too much. What's we are bottom? level twelve though. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're thirteen. 12, I need to be level I'm thirteen. A, so. I'm a multi-class barbarian and um, rogue. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm half Asimar, half Tiefling. You're half ass. <laughs> <laughs> I am half ass. I'm, I'm half assing this DMing thing. Half, half ass, half teeth. <laughs> People in the know. That's how you say it. That's true. Yeah. Emily, you're awesome. You have made us laugh so much. Uh, thank you for being on. How can people, you know, find out more about you and what you're doing, all your projects? Um, they can watch currently Dimension 20 is streaming live on Twitch every Wednesday at 7 Pacific Standard Time. Those have been a blast. Um, that's where I play an angsty little teen and I carry all of my angsty teen emotions with me um, home and it's uh, torture. <laughs> and Murph and, loves um, it. <laughs> and Murph loves it. Um, and then uh, – not another D and D podcast. We're just a, a podcast that you can find online and listen to it, and and it's fun and love it and Excellent. love it and love it and tell us how much you love it, so that our 
our delicate little egos feel special. <laughs> they can tell you that on the social media, maybe? Is that? Yes, I am kind of on Twitter at eXpert. <laughs> I just, I, it's not in my, it's not in my habit. So I, I go on like maybe like once a week and then I look at everything then. Sweet. Well, people are really excited about you being a guest today, so you should look at all the nice things they're saying about you. <laughs> they say lots of nice I things. Hope they really that I did. lived up to expectations. I think you did. You exceeded. Oh, you, you rolled a nat <laughs> twenty-one. Yep. Stop. That's with a advantage. Dice, but I'll take it. <laughs> and you have inspiration. I would love to physically see how that happens. <laughs> <laughs> it just all of a sudden a new face of the just die happened. just appeared. It was yeah. pretty amazing. <laughs> Never seen that before. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, I'm sure for having me. we'll play again, and now I want to find out what happens down the wormhole. Oh, we will. And yeah, I soup- want to know where this wormhole lands after months in the air. <laughs> just keep, just keep, I'll let you know when you hit the ground. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Thanks, Emily. Thank you, Emily. Bye. See you later. Bye. Bye. What oh, an amazing. amazing interview. Did I, did I do okay? <laughs> well, you were talking in that weird voice the whole time. I, I don't know what came over me. <laughs> it's like Mr. Bean. <laughs> my nerves. <laughs> oh, no, no, oh, no, no. I'm not hungry. Oh, my God. That was amazing. So fun. So um, I enjoy hearing about uh, people's you know, uh, personal lives and how they came to Dungeons & Dragons. And it's it's always and amazing to hear about it. they find. They're right. It. Exactly. Because as we were saying when we were not recording, D&D does positive good for so many people yes, it does. out there. Yes, it and does. Uh, that's a big tenet of what we do here at Dragon Talk is just yeah. to make sure we share the amazingness the that comes from people playing this game together. And the amazing people in our community. We all have this thing in common. We do. We love D&D. We do. Yeah. Um, I want to give a shout out to all the people who make this amazing Dragon Talk podcast, starting with Shelly Mazzanoble. Woo! Yes! Good stuff yeah. all around. Thank you, Ryan. How can people find you on social medias? On Twitter, I am Shelly Moo. Shelly Moo. Yeah. Um, I'm Greg Tito. You can follow me there or on Woo. Instagram. Thank you. Thank you to you. Um, I also want to give a shout out to Ryan Marth making yeah. the amazing audio happen. Pelham Green making videos. Lisa Carr helping us with booking yes, and getting everyone Lisa. on the horn. And Robert. Plant. And Robert Plant, our newest <laughs> uh, addition, uh, possibly also a dryad or a treant. We're not sure, uh, but there's seen. a plant in the studio, and it is good stuff. Uh, all right, so uh, we're doing a little thing different for our, for our sign off. Here is oh. for you <clears throat> to uh, you're in you're in a yeah there you go uh, you're in a woods. You see Robert Plants and many of uh, his cousins all around you. You are. What character are you? Drunky Two Shoes. Drunky Two Shoes. Tabaxi Ranger. Um, you oh, shoot. S- she was a sorcerer. Okay. A tabaxi Sorcerer. Tabaxi Sorcerer. Uh, you see a shape start swinging on a vine towards you. What do you do? I scream, Daryl, is that you? Okay. Uh, roll me a uh, perception check as you're going to try and see a nine. who it is. Nine. I uh, don't know what my bonus would be. I would Probably like a three. Yeah. Maybe I think, 12. I th- Okay. So 12 total. 12 total. All right, so you get a glimpse of this shape, and it's actually a chimpanzee who reaches out to you and tries to grab your hand. I take it. All right, and that's where we'll stop, and we'll come pick this back up again at the end of next episode of Dragon Talk. We'll see Woo! you next week. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.